The Balance and Falls Special Interest Group of the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy, a component of the APTA, is bringing you this episode today. I will be your host. My name is Marissa Lyon. I am a physical therapist in Portland, Maine, an assistant professor at the University of New England, and on the nominating committee of the Balance and Falls Special Interest Group. Welcome back to the Balance and Falls Special Interest Group podcast today. I am very lucky to be conducting an interview, having a conversation with JJ Mauder-Tinney. I was inspired to bring you on to the podcast today after you won the award for the best poster presenter at the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy Conference in October uh, with your poster effectiveness of implementing a single session of perturbation training in the clinic with chronic stroke. So JJ is a professor at South College. Uh, She got her Bachelor of Science in Psychology from the University of Colorado Boulder, Master's of Science in Physical Therapy from University of Miami, Doctor of Physical Therapy from Nova Southeastern. And you have your PhD as well. Is that correct, JJ? Yeah, that was from Nova. Mm -hmm. Okay, wonderful. Um, A number of certifications as well. So a neurologic certified specialist, from the APTA, a certified NDT, a certified stroke rehabilitation specialist from the American Stroke Association, certified as an exercise expert for aging adults from the Academy of Geriatric Physical Therapy. And in 2021, she won the award for excellence in neurologic education from the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy. Uh, component of the APTA. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, JJ has been uh, publishing both research, case reports, uh, and doing presentations at conferences about this perturbation-based training since about 2016. And so, uh, JJ, if you don't have anything else to add on your, your bio, I have my very first question to ask you about this. Okay. No, I have nothing to add, but I do want to thank you, Marissa, for having me on. I love talking about this. Uh, topic. And it's just very exciting. I think it goes along with a big theme of intensity. So it's all very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I thought it was interesting, kind of fortuitous after I invited you to do this interview, I saw your name pop up in the neuro PT listserv. I was getting one of those kind of email chains. Someone was asking about, I think, reaction or reactive balance with the, I don't remember their exact wording. And someone was like, you, you guys should talk to, to JJ Mountertini. I was like, <laughs> oh, well, perfect. I'm glad that I'm going to have her on soon. So Uh, That kind of brings me to my very first question, which is what inspired you to look into providing clinically and then doing this dissemination about perturbation-based training? Thank you for asking that because it was one of those moments where you never forget in your head where you were. (laughs) And I was at CSM and it was 2015 and Dr. Pai, uh, P-A-I, was doing a talk on inoculation of falls. And I hadn't quite put the whole title together of inoculation, you know, one session for falls. And as he was talking, I, you could just feel it. I was like, oh my gosh, like he is talking about decreasing fall risk significantly in one session. Like, Mm -hmm. how's that possible? You know? And so his was on the 24 slips, you know, facilitating 24 slips in one session and decreasing fall risk with the aging adult. Um, Cause, and that's where we started was aging adult, but for me, my love is like the knowledge translation part. So how can I take this amazing, amazing work that he's been doing for years? I was like, just reinforces how long it takes to disseminate research. Cause I try to stay up on all the research and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like this is 
really phenomenal. Like if we could get, you know, during PT month, if we could get, you know, in um, independent living facilities and skilled nursing facilities and all these, if we could figure out how we could make it work in the clinic. And so it's always about how can I translate that into the clinic to make it something realistic um, that a therapist could do tomorrow. And so that was my main impetus. I mean, I left there going, we got to figure this out. And, um, and I got to keep thinking about ways to do it. And so just with lots of help from obviously lots of people and learning more every day, because as you share information where people are like, oh, well, we do it this way, or we try to do it that way. It's just very exciting. So that's what inspired me. And I'm very grateful to them and Dr. And Dr. Bott and all, there's just so many researchers out there looking at perturbation-based balance training and reactive training and just doing really amazing work. And um, yeah, so that got me started. So I'll try to link some of the um, research and some of these individuals in the show notes, but for anyone who hasn't looked into that research, where is a good place for people to start other than, you know, your, your publication for 2017 in physical medicine and rehab and, you know, going to a conference or looking at some of your older posters, where else is a good way to kind of delve into this in the beginning? I mean, Kind of just the classic, I mean, if you go to Google Scholar and I know, you know, Mm -hmm. but if you go and there's just, it is like multiplying in regards to the systematic reviews and the randomized control trials. Um, Some of the bigger names, Mm P-A-I-P-I and BOT, um, B-H-A-T-T, Town B. Those two have done some amazing work. Um, McCrum, um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, there's just every to Okubo. I think that's right. I'm going off memory, but there's just so many. And really now it's like proliferating. Like, you know, I started with aging adult and then this one, this case report was on a person with stroke where it was supposed to be a big, bigger group, but COVID hit. But now we have a a round going with some, with a group with MS and a group with Parkinson's, but incomplete spinal cord injury. I mean, it's just, everyone's really jumping on because they can see and you can just see the benefits right away. And it aligns with how much intensity you need to really challenge the balance so that we can set them up to be successful, no matter what environmental hazards may come about. Yeah. And I think this lines up both really nicely with some of the work that ANPT has been doing over the last year, their big focus. It also lines luckily for me um, with some of my specific kind of clinical and research interests. Like you mentioned kind of right before we started doing, doing the interview is um, the having discussions around specifically the parameter of intensity. But I think this is such a great kind of intersection of talking about the parameter of type. So mode of exercise training and intensity. This is both a mode that wasn't used very often. You know, you looked back to some of the older surveys from the 2010s, um, thinking of a survey that was done in Canada about just how often people test reactive balance. And it was essentially never or very infrequently to now we're talking about more and more and we're having that intersection of mode of reactive or kind of perturbation training is, you know, we can talk about how, how those are kind of different or the same and then talking about the intensity. So not just small slips, but that, that kind of in that high intensity. And it's such an important discussion to have. So I, I love the way that you put it because those things are now options, but then you have to still deal with, uh, I'm too scared to, to even test like a mini best and do the reactive components. Therapists are too scared to do that because they're too scared of, are they going to be able to guard them? Okay. And are they going to keep them safe? So, you know, we have to talk about 
we need that intensity to go higher and to try these different modes. But, you know, once we give ideas, people need to start working with, okay, how do I adjust the environment and how do I make sure that they're safe so that I can challenge them to that level? So it's. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think this is kind of a good segue into talk to me about the the specifics of the intervention that you provided in the case that you presented this recent ANPT conference. So talk to me through also how you made decisions about some of those parameters thinking. I usually use a framework of fit. If you use kind of a different framework, you can share that with me. So I think about frequency, maybe not as big of a topic with a one session, but kind of that intensity, the mode, um, and anything related to, you know, how long you did the duration. Yes. So we used the protocol that we developed with the aging adult population. So my, my case, um, not my case reports, but my um, abstracts that I've presented at CSM before this were kind of the foundation. And so coming from Pi's work and, and first starting with, okay, 24 slips, but I was being unrealistic. Like we brought some grandparents in just mm-hmm. to say, okay, we finally found the type, like the, the, we found the slip trainer. Mm-hmm. So this isn't walking and slipping. Like now they have new treadmills out, you know, that have the walking and slipping. This was standing and facilitating a slip or a trip and trying to make that random. So we found the way that we were going to implement it, but I was thinking, okay, well, we'll do this for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, Um, you know, but it was new to me and I didn't realize like, this is scary as all get out. They're Mm -hmm. in a harness. You cannot do this without a harness um, and having them be that extra safe. Plus you want to push them to the point of them actually falling Mm -hmm. in the harness, just to be clear. Um, And so, you know, after a few minutes, their lower extremity muscles fatigued because you are on high alert and you know, when I show videos, they're always muted because they're screaming involved. You know, I mean, just there's like, ah, you know, like there's a little nervousness because it's a little scary. You have to try it first on yourself just so you have an understanding of where they're coming from. Um, And so I was realizing, okay, yeah, that whole 20 minute thing is not going to work at all. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up experimenting with a bunch of people first, our kind of piloting before we even did our um, first study. And it came out to be four two-minute blocks. So we did one session. They only came in once. Okay. And we did like this little orientation. They saw a little video. We did, you know, them standing on it and feeling it move on the board, move underneath them. Because that's the slip trainer. It's like a board you stand on and it moves underneath you. You move it underneath them. Okay. So let them move it a little bit. Like they'd step forward and back and feel it roll underneath them. Kind of like a push cart if you're standing on one of those, you know, big carts. Um, and then, then they would have to turn around so they couldn't see when they're being pushed or pulled. And we would do about two minutes and we would check their RPE and we would check their heart rate and it would go up. It was still in a good range, but it was up. And we were getting in that two minutes, probably, I think we averaged about 70 total. So we were getting about 15 to 20 trips and slips. So steps forward and step back in that two minutes. Okay. So about 15. And then, and then we would let them rest. They could do a standing rest or sitting rest. And then we would do another two minutes, rest, two minutes, rest, two minutes. So a total time was eight minutes. It would take about a half an hour by the time you got them in the harness, did the little orientation. And then depending on how long they wanted to rest in between, um, we, we um, operationally define that a little bit more where we're doing two minutes and then note if they need more two minute rest breaks. Okay. Um but that seemed about 
that just has worked just right. So I'm not saying there are better protocols out there, but that protocol worked just perfect for us. And what we we did before COVID is we did outcome measures two weeks before and then two weeks after. Okay. With COVID, we did the outcome measures right before we did the intervention. Right. And then post two weeks after, okay. just to decrease the number of times they came on campus. Um, and kind of describe to me the best you can. So the, the slip training, you have someone standing on a platform, you said, and then the platform is being moved underneath the person, correct? Where they're having to respond to that. And is that, is that my, my understanding correct there? Yeah. So it's a board, like I'm trying to think of how big that is, but you can, there's enough room to step forward and step back Mm -hmm. and a little bit on each side. And it's on, it's built into a a physical therapist designed it and has rollers underneath it. And then there's a handle to push and pull. So when you push it, it's kind of like if you're going to transport something heavy, you know, but it's really big and you push it forward and you push it back. And so when they're facing away from you, and you push it forward, that would be a slip and they have to step back to maintain their balance. So it's just rolling underneath them, but you're controlling the push and pull. And is this occurring only in the anterior posterior plane or kind of yes. plane or you do, you do ever doing any medial lateral or transverse kind of rotational? So great question. For the, for the research, for all the different we're trying to compare the same protocol within different patient diagnoses to see if we can identify who benefits optimally from this. Like when are they too lower functioning? Like when we, cause when we check their gate speed and their four square step test and wow. their reactive component of their mini best and backward walking, like trying to see if there's any correlation to this crew right here who performs in this area, they respond optimally. And this population, or if they score lower then maybe they're not ready yet. And there's some preparatory work you could do before they're ready for this. Um, And so we've only done, back to your question, we've only done slips and trips, but from an intervention, when I use the board just in general and not as part of any of the research, we do um, side to side as well. So, um, but you just turn the person. And so they're facing forward back and then you just turn them and then do side to side. The side to side is a little tougher to get them to do a loaded step and not do a crossover. You really need to pull their feet together. And it it's really hard for them to get a feel for it at first, but once they get it, then you can start, um, you can utilize that from an intervention standpoint, but we did not do it as part of our research. Okay. So when you do that, you typically have people in a fairly narrow base of support with their feet. Yes. Just okay. like when you do the mini best and you do the reactive piece, when they do front back, you do shoulder width, but when they do side to side, you have to pull their feet together and okay. sometimes that's where we, we miss that part. And that's, and I learned from doing this, that, that you really have to, because if not, they're going to do a crossover and there really isn't room on that. There is room on the platform potentially to do a crossover, but we really, you know, we try not to promote that, right. As, as an option for them to step quickly to the side. Yeah. I was very grateful for, uh, I believe it's Kurt, um, who, who designed it. And, um, I, I do try because it's so you have to be in a harness for that. I've tried and experimented with a lot of different ways to prep, to get to that point, um, of things without the harness. So a lot of bungees and pulling and quick, and I tried things with frictionless sheets and, it, and other than sit to stand, I wasn't willing to do the stepping, but some people are braver than me. Um, you know, moving the treadmill belt with your felt, with your foot, uh, you know, turning on and off the treadmill, all our treadmills just turn on and off too slow, uh, right. But you could 
you can start the belt and then step on the treadmill as the belt's moving. I mean, so there's like a variety, but trying to find some things where you could do it without a harness just to, to challenge the patient. It's the same. It's a similar concept, right? Trying to get that reactive piece. Right. Um, it's just hard because our patients are just so smart, right? I mean, yeah. once you figure out like whatever the, the great idea you had and you come up with this great idea and they're, whoa, you know, they react with that reactive component, then they figure it out. <laughs> And you're like, that is the function of our nervous system, right? Is to try to keep us safe. And so it is nice sometimes to see, oh, okay, well, the, there is enough uh, kind of, whether it's synaptogenesis or strengthening of synapses occurring there that, oh, yep, that thing is not hard anymore. That's good. Um, so that kind of actually brings me a question. So we talk some about the real specific mode of this exercise. How did you measure the intensity and how did you decide what intensity you were shooting for when you were prescribing this? So the case we're talking about is a chronic stroke, but you've done this as well with spinal cord injury, geriatric, and individuals with multiple sclerosis. Yep. So what we're trying to do in looking at, well, there's two components to this intensity thing, because there's this aspect of their legs, just the muscles fatiguing. And so okay. they can't take a step just because their muscles are too fatigued. So that kept us, that's where the two minute kind of cutoff came into being, um, is, and so when people sometimes use this, like they'll see a course or talk about, or they'll see me do something and they'll go and they'll get one for their facility, which I think is great as long as they have a harness, but I'm always like, well, just call me back, like email me back because I've just seen people put them on there and then 10 minutes of doing this back and forth. And they're just falling all over. I'm like, they can't because muscular, they just don't have it. So keep it short. Like you shouldn't have to use it for two, you know, like a long period of time during your session, you can be able to then go on and do other things. Okay. Um, so there's that piece of intensity, but then there's this, well, how hard do we push them? Because we couldn't measure the force and that was driving us crazy and still does a little bit. Um, but I was like, well, even if we knew like it's, you have to push them till you think they're going to fall. That's why they're in the harness to where they're losing their balance and they're setting off our track system that the track had to, the harness had to catch, had to catch them. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint of intensity, we're trying to facilitate a fall okay. or at least a step fast enough to make them do a step. Um, so in the beginning, a lot of times they kind of just timber with the slips. I mean, the slips are the biggest um, injurious risk that we're worried about. And so um, in the beginning, they'll just kind of timber. And so that's easy because they fell, they fell, they fell, they fell. And then yeah. they start stepping quick enough that, okay, now that's, it doesn't matter how fast or far we go. So we started looking at, it was about a push of 10 inches was our average after the second or third round. Cause at first it was just little babies were freaking them out. So we we're kind of like warming it up and going a little further and faster, okay. but that's, it's hard because I recognize that's not like a true measure. Like the new treadmills that are coming out yeah. that the great thing is they're walking and then it, you know, then it slips or trips them while they're walking. Um, this one is standing. So there is limitations to it, but man, it's just so great to see it when you see right. the change. Well, and I think that um, it's not going to always be a consistent force or distance, right? Because some people there, it sounds like you're typically trying to induce a stepping response and or a fall. So that was kind of your your intensity. It was an objective visualization. Is that the correct understanding? Oh, Marissa, you said it way better than I did. No, Marissa, that was oh. perfect because <laughs> no, that's exactly, I kept saying, but it does. Uh, but it doesn't matter because if we get a, a speed on one person, it's not going to be the same speed for the next person. It's just like 
no intensity in general. You got to meet the person where they are. Right. I mean, intensity, we, all of our patients need to be intensively challenged for the most part, um, mm-hmm. exceptions always, but, but, but some are at this, our lower level and some are at this higher level. So we meet the patient where they are and that's the same thing. You're exactly right. So, but the goal was to try to either facilitate the step or they would timber into that fall. Okay, great. So that would be typically most people would say that would be pretty far at the end of intense. Like that would be an intense exercise. Right. If you, you know, what I really um, like using is the rate of perceived stability chart for patients so that they can see how, how much, you know, challenge the balance am I having? So when you look at SB, their rate of perceived stability is like a, the revised one is up to seven. doesn't matter which chart you use. You're looking at seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. cause that's, they're in the harness. If, if whenever you're in a harness and working on balance, I think you should be working towards their falling. I mean, right. that's what we should be teaching them. Um, so yes, that's the, that would be, if you're using the RPS, the rate of perceived stability, I would be going for the highest number with the harness on. With the harness on. Yeah, great. So uh, my next question is just, so again, talking first about this most recent work that you've done, um, what surprised you, if anything, while you were working with this client and then while you were writing up the results? So any surprises for you? For me, yes, because so first we were going to do people with MS, you know, more symmetrical. Like I knew the asymmetry of a person, especially with a chronic stroke. I, I just felt like that was going to be really challenging, especially wearing an AFO. Absolutely. And so I, you know, my hypothesis in my head was that, okay, but I'm good with them stepping with their stronger leg. As long as they're stepping forward and stepping back. As mm-hmm. long as we're giving them a stepping reaction, given that their ankle has an AFO on it and their hips are usually stiff. So ankle and hip strategies aren't going to be my go-to. Let's give them a stepping with their stronger leg. Yeah. Um, what amazed me was with this one person, but who's a pretty good ambulator, right? But who's at risk for falls. When we bought, By the time we got to the end of the third bout of two minutes and the fourth bout, mm-hmm. he was stepping with both feet. Oh, and okay. I was, and that's what I said. I was like, yeah. look at, look at that. And um, you could see the activation in his ankle. Like I had never seen it before when we were just moving it. You could see now bilateral ankle strategies kind of kicking those muscles were much more active. And given that AFO, you know, he even a couple times in the fourth version stepped with his impaired leg first. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I wasn't really, I wasn't expecting that. I just thought he would yeah. get better and feel more confident um, stepping with his uninvolved leg. And you did all the, uh, repetitions with the, his typical AFO on. Yes. Okay. And I wasn't sure how that would work either, to be very honest. I did loosen the strap a bit just to allow the tibial to have tibia to have some movement, Yeah. depending on how, you know, when he was stepping back and stepping forward, um, which just enough. Cause then I was like, mm. so he was like, we we've had people on the system before who've had a stroke And, but we didn't do like the protocol. We were just kind of like, oh, let's do slips, trips and let's turn sideways. And then like, then let's go for a walk. His walking from a symmetry standpoint, his step length was, was looked really good. He was very much more, I I don't know if I can measure it per se, but he had a nice symmetrical gait pattern afterwards. And so the activation to me, it was more of this challenge really increased motor unit recruitment. And really increased his awareness of that involved leg. And really, he was feeling much more confident standing on it. So 
mm-hmm. sense, throw a little pepper, a little sensory in there too. But mm-hmm. then when he walked afterwards, I was like, that's what I'm looking for. So then yeah. I was thinking, oh, this would be really good prep, like a way to prep them before yeah, yeah. walking them. Um, and so, yeah, so I really want to, we ended up just because, uh, at Nazareth, the, the, um, access to people, um, we ended up now we have a group of people with MS and, um, Parkinson's, but I definitely strongly want to go back to my, um, my group of people with stroke just to see, uh, who would really benefit. And, and, and there's so much, you know, variation you can do within it, but yeah. And my, my thoughts. So a couple of thoughts I have on that. Number one is thinking about, are you going to do something like this with or without an AFO or are you going to adjust it? Ah, that's going to be so much again, dependent on how much activation someone has, how much stability they have. Um, are they going to be able to take a step? So it might be that it's going to be different depending on the person. Obviously you can't design a research project around that necessarily, but when someone's implementing it and then yeah, I love the idea of, you know, we kind of think about how can we kind of upregulate some plasticity with some high intensity practice early in a session. So I think this is kind of a nice way to think about how can we give some sensory input, a high intensity exercise, something that maybe could have this kind of, that, you know, given a cer- the certain situation could have this inoculation property in addition to then anything else, that, else that's being done in kind of a task specific training of gait or other types of balance. Um, so I think that's kind of a very interesting thing I'd like to see. Well, and I love the way that you summarize that because again, we're just looking at, you know, just if less than 10 minutes, I mean, Mm -hmm. I understand depending, but if you were to do a four, two, two minutes, you know, you could just do two, two minutes and do just a short six minute prep that trust me, their aerobic capacity is going, you know, they're breathing. (laughs) So we're increasing intensity on multiple levels and then do your, and be able to get more repetitions out of the deal while you're doing your task specific high intensity gait training. Um, so I think, and your AFO question, that's what, that's the kicker, right? Mm -hmm. Because if they have medial lateral instability, I'm going to leave the AFO on Mm because I don't want them to step and roll but I also would like some movement in that tibia to be able to get some plantar flexor and activation. Um, so right now I think, you know, I loosen the FO for lots of things that I do and it's just been, um, and I haven't seen any issues in real, really, um, with walking and stepping with a loosened FO, just the strap top strap part. So, um, but you're right. That's going to be, that would be a whole nother thing to look at is from a recommendation standpoint. Like I want to have the tell, like at least, say, well, try it, but just be aware of this and this, you know, the biggest thing to me is you guys try these things. Like as long as you're safe and you're set up safe, like I think that I wouldn't, there's so many times I just don't think, oh, that person can tolerate that or, oh, they're tired. Like what did I just look at their face and decide that? Um, And I know that's the discussion, right? And intensity matters. I mean, we all are on board and we're all going there, but I think it's how do we make everyone feel more confident with the decisions that we make. And I just don't have all those answers, but it's fun trying to figure them out. Yeah. And I think what you kind of bring up is how do we make everyone feel confident? So this is all of our stakeholders, right? So this is our patients, our patients, loved ones, our students, the clinicians, the clinicians, administrators, and managers, all of those people have to be on board with something like this, because you get one of those stakeholders really hesitant about something whether it's reactive balance training in any capacity or high intensity training, especially high intense balance training, um, it can be quite difficult to, to get some of this done, right? If you've got, let's say your manager isn't quite on board and they're pretty nervous and you know, that kind of thing, or a loved one is in the corner going, Ooh, I don't know. I don't 
think we should do this like that. You can really lose a lot of, of steam there. And, and I have to admit, first, I was like, check my blood pressure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe we should check yes. my heart rate. Yes, I tell you just quickly that the, in our first group, we had a bunch of um, females that are sisters from the mother house because that's really nearby. Oh, and nice. they all came in and they all came in when the students presented the research, you know, it was like months later and they're all sitting there and they're all like, I remember that part. It was so scary. And they're like, Oh, I remember that part. It was so scary. And then, you know, oh. and then they came up to me afterwards and they like literally surrounded me and they said, we still remember what that felt like. It still helps us with our wow. stepping. And then one of the sisters came up and grabbed my hands and says, you have to go tell everybody about it. <laughs> Oh, and I oh said, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So she has motivated me tremendously because I just can't ever forget her taking my hands and looking at me and saying that oh, um, because oh they still remembered it. And that's a lot of the work in regards to the little bit of fear factor. I think maybe that's a good point you bring up versus that educating all the stakeholders about that part. You know, we have we've seen in the literature about benefits of a little fear really helps in regards to the carryover and the memory and those types of things. And they, they were, they were um, a perfect example of that. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's kind of one of my questions is how have you, you yourself or those around you successfully kind of gone up against some of those barriers, uh, any specific strategies to recommend? Well, I think that um, for the patient specifically, um, start sometime now with the research, I had to do the research. And, and to be honest, the one thing that can come up is that we did the ABC scale and mm -hmm. afterwards they were a little scared, more scared because, mm -hmm. because now they realized, oh my gosh, like I could fall. Like they didn't realize that before. They were, thinking, so, they were kind of primed to be thinking about how afraid am I of falling? You know what? I am, I am afraid. Yeah. And, and, and look at, I timbered a few times, but if I could have done an intervention, like seen them one more time, I, that would have been cleaned up really easily, given them the confidence. But in, in just a typical setting, I would say, you know, you can build up to something that strong. You can build up to make sure that they can step quickly just without any, whether it's a clock yourself app or resistance, or even in acute care, you can start which is standing on the more involved side and stepping out, stepping in, but quicker, step out and step in quick again and forward and back quick. Like just trying to give them a feel for that. The bungees are nice because I can pull the bungee tight and then it pulls them when you release it and it pulls them out quick. Mm -hmm. So they get a, what does that even feel like to have to step that quickly um, in different directions? And so I think, you know, using the environment, like we usually do put them in a corner, but use those quick steps, you know, have the gate belt on. I know people feel one way or the other, but I'm team gate belt when it comes to balance because I couldn't challenge them at this level and feel confident doing it without that. So you just have to decide why am I not taking them to, if you have an idea, yeah, you have to ask yourself, why are you not taking them to that next step? And then what would it take for you to do that? And can you make, can you look around and adjust? Um, so I would start slow, just little movements and work your way up. Yeah, I, I, Other stakeholders, honestly, Marissa, I hadn't really thought about it because I kind of just did what I wanted. But um, <laughs> but I think it's really important when you're trying to, people are contacting me, trying to justify the equipment. Mm. And so that's more of, you know, outcomes and look at this research and this is benefit and but, and then trying to justify getting some type of harness system. It doesn't have to be a fancy piece of equipment, but there's lots of different options out there Definitely. so that everyone feels safer. Um, so looking into options like that, I would, I think I would add to the answer. 
Yeah, no, I think that, that that's a good point. I think we're really lucky that we're in a time when some of this equipment isn't high, high tech now. There is, ex there's more accessibility to things like harness systems that can be done at a little bit more accessible price point for some of the smaller clinics, whether you're just in, not in a full hospital system with a large budget. If, and so obviously there'll be some places where something like this isn't available because it's maybe a clinic focused on a different population. But I, I think that that is a good reminder that even if that's not available, there are some things you can do with, you know, bungee cords and bands. And there's all always ways to be creative within this kind of framework of, of training. So that's good. It's I very also, exciting. And people come up with great stuff. Just you yeah. know, email me and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is brilliant. So we have to keep sharing ideas. We have to keep sharing ideas. And when you're having things that you're not doing, like you're limited. There's so many different outlets. Go to the neuropt.org and, you know, start putting on the list of questions and ask. Everyone is doing great things all over. We just need to be sharing that information as much as possible. So I appreciate you doing podcasts and all the work that you do um, for yeah. this section. It's just huge. Yeah, the Balance and Falls Special Interest Group has really been trying to be really intentional about our mission and vision. Um, this last year, I joined the board in the last this, I joined it this year. I'm in my first year of my term. And um, this is the kind of thing that we're really trying to do more of is just really try to get um, actionable interventions and ideas and connections with clinicians that are out there. So if someone listening isn't part of a SIG, definitely join a special interest group. So you're getting the newsletters, link up to the podcast, those kinds of things. Not everyone has the ability to, you know, go to a CSM every year. Um, I think going to them is always a great way to connect with people, but you know, whether it's PTO, family obligations, those kinds of things. Obviously that's not accessible for everyone, but um, with podcasts and newsletters, that's a really good way to just get connected with people. Like you said, ask questions on the listserv. You live somewhere where you're not connected with people, connect with people that way. I think that there's a lot of options, which is really great. So thank you for being on the board though. I appreciate all the hard work that everyone's oh. doing so that we can continue to share these ideas. Yeah, absolutely. So then kind of my last question is, um, before I ask kind of some rapid questions, is anything else that you'd like to share about this patient case or this intervention, um, this type of intervention that we haven't already discussed? No, the only thing I would ask, people usually ask me about the outcome measures, because the mm -hmm. big thing was, I was kind of told when I was looking at this research, they're not going to change in outcome measures with one session. So don't even do the study because it's not going to make you look good or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, that's not my point. I want to see if it actually changed, which they do. And the gate speed. So generally we're doing the four square step test. Um, again, the reactive component of the mini best, we were doing gate speed and the ABC. And what we have added is the backward walking, timed backward walking. Oh, nice. And um, we really saw some great changes with our patients with MS with that one. And then um, one-legged standing just from a, a cutoff from injurious falls. And for me to see that activation was really helping. So sometimes people ask me what outcome measures and, but those were some that were quick and easy, but I felt very relevant to what it is we were, uh, our intervention. And those you were doing again, two weeks after the one day intervention, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So my wrap up questions are a little bit more fun. They're uh, not talking about perturbation based training. Anymore. <laughs> so the first one is, um, these are my pun questions. So what about PT? Have you fallen in love with what's giving you the most joy? Oh. Right now? I get that. I'm glad you hit highlighted the pun. I probably wouldn't have. I'm so slow. There's nothing, um, there's nothing like telling a joke and telling someone I'm telling you a joke now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you've met me before. Cause you need to do that. Um, 
Well, you know, my mom was a physical therapist. I always say my mom was a physical therapist. I grew up in her clinic. And so I feel like, you know, she kind of started me on this path, but she was ortho outpatient. And I don't know, you know, just like all of us, it's just to see the change in our patients um, is just really fun. And to really be excited for that, like go in excited. I just love being excited to challenge them and just them take it in. Like I always thought that would scare them and it just doesn't seem to. So um I don't know. There's so many things. I know we've all said that. I was trying to think of something smart, but uh, I, you, you I, hit on a lot of things throughout throughout yeah. our conversation. So <laughs> I think there's so many things to fall in love with PT. Yeah. Um, my next question then is, how do you keep it all in balance? So either how are you, you know, managing uh, being busy, and or how are you getting joy outside of the world of physical therapy? Yeah, I don't know if my husband would think that I balance everything well. I do have a tendency <laughs> to say yes because I love everything I'm doing. It makes it so hard, but. Uh, my two golden retrievers and my husband and I, we enjoy taking the pups to a, a, get a lake house here and there and get them swimming and chill out that way. So I think that's like my favorite thing that we, we do on the side. That is just awesome. So nothing Great. too exciting. <laughs> Thank you so much. And now, um, lastly, is there anywhere that anyone can find you? What, do you have any upcoming publications, conferences, social media, where anyone can find more information about you and some of your work? So I will be at CSM, always M. <laughs> My mom's like, you have to go CSM every year. She's told me that for the last year. So, <laughs> I love it. Like, you're, not, you're not a professional unless you're a member. I, I was little yes, packing no, the bag. No. She was the program chair for, C- for our, our state, Colorado. Um, and I used to, when I was little, fill the bags that they would give the therapist attendees. <laughs> Sorry. Oh sorry. my, that sorry. sounds like that needs to be unpacked one day, long-term about some, <laughs> some, <laughs> but, uh, I would say, um, I did start a new Instagram, JJ Mouter PT, right. uh, just trying to get people to share different ideas. And then JJ is my website. So the courses I give and the different courses I have offered out there are on that website. So. All right. Well, JJ, thank you so much for giving me your time today. I really appreciate it. I hope that we've inspired at least a few people to give um, this intervention or a creative version of this intervention to try in the clinic. And I hope that they definitely take a look at some of your previous publications and some of the publications by Dr. Pai. Is that correct? Yes. And yeah, me too. And keep us posted because it's very exciting. And we just want to learn from everyone. So thanks. Thanks again, Marissa. It was great. And the the SIG because I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Thanks again to JJ Mouter Tinney for joining me to discuss her recent case study presented at the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy Conference on perturbation-based balance training. I think that was a really enlightening conversation. I really enjoyed hearing about the inspiration and what she has learned through trialing this intervention strategy in different situations, in different contexts with different patients. So I hope everyone found that conversation as useful and interesting as I did. Stay tuned for more intervention-related conversations with researchers and clinicians and students from across the country on the Balance and Falls Special Interest Group podcast. I will include a number of links in the show notes, including JJ Mouter's website, her Instagram, a link to a case report she published a few years ago, as well as a couple of perturbation-based balance training articles. 
If anyone has any questions, you can reach out to the Balance and Falls SIG at balancefallssig at gmail.com. And I look forward to seeing those of you who have the capacity to attend combined section meeting in February. And if not, keep up to date on this podcast by subscribing in your preferred podcast app, and we will bring you more interesting conversations. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast of the Balance and Falls Special Interest Group of the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy. For more information, please see the show notes or visit neuropt.org. Thank you.